doing? Hey, it is good to be with you once again, whether you're joining us on campus, inside, out on the patio, or if you're joining us online. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rocky Peak, and we're going to go into our time of teaching. But before we do, I've got two things I want to highlight, because this is my time. I want to be able to highlight very quickly. First and foremost, I want to just echo that announcement that Scott just shared. We have an incredible opportunity in front of us, church, when it comes to our kids and the Rocky Peak Kids ministry. We have an opportunity to be able to expand what we're offering, not just to be able to expand the volunteers at the nine o'clock service, but be able to expand and return our kids' ministry to the 11 o'clock service. And so that's gonna require more people than we have. And so all I wanna do as a pastor is I wanna ask you, would you prayerfully consider because I understand it, that a lot of times you may sit there and go, well, what would I bring to kids' ministry? And really the answer to that is your presence. It's not about your polish. It's not about what you know or don't know or your relevance with the kids. It's the fact that you're there. You know, as the father of three school-age kids, I see that that makes the biggest impact in their lives is just those volunteers that are there when they come. And so I would love for you to be part of that and by showing up, making an impact in the life of one of our kids. So again, as Scott mentioned, there's multiple ways. If you're watching online, you could text a number for information. You could talk with somebody. You are not signing your life away. You're just asking for more information. And we would love for you to do that. Second thing I want to highlight specifically for our online audience, we're going to be after the time of teaching, taking communion together. So I want to give you a heads up so you can reach into your kitchens and get something that can pass for the elements, piece of bread, cracker, some type of beverage. You can join us in that. All right. No cheats and Bibles. Yeah. All right. Let's pray and let's jump in. Jesus, I love what Sarah was praying as she was closing the worship set, that your ways are not our ways. And that caused me to pause and reflect and realize, yeah, and that's what makes them better. Your ways are bigger. Your ways have more power behind them. Your ways seek a greater good. Jesus, often my vision, my heart can be limited, but you... You have no such limitations. And not only that, but when we come to you, as we often talk about as a church, when we learn to listen and follow, to submit to your leadership, you teach us how to see like you do. And so I pray as we continue our series, as we open up your word, which is more than just ink on a page or words on the screen, it is your living and active voice. May we allow it to open the eyes of our heart so that we can see in a bigger way than we started our time with together. As I often pray, Jesus, I pray that I as the communicator would become less, that I would fall by the wayside, and you as King Jesus would become much, much more. And it's in your name that we all said, amen. Well, Rocky Peak, this weekend, we're gonna be continuing the series we've been in for the last couple of months called Signs the Path to Life. And if you're just joining us, this series has been an in-depth study in the life and teachings of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man that we call the Apostle John. And what John is doing is that he's writing his gospel, the gospel of John, near the end of his life as an older man. And he's inviting us through his writings to go on a journey with him through his personal experiences with the person of Jesus. 
And in particular, he highlights the seven supernatural signs. And John writes ultimately to help us understand who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what is the path that leads us to life. Now today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be finishing the interaction that Jesus has with this woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now this is going to be the third third, uh, topic about this interaction. So we're concluding this epic trilogy, if you will. Now Michael led us in these previously two messages. And if you remember, in the first one, we pointed out that Jesus is the living water, the only one that can satisfy us. Last week, as Michael went further into his interaction, he talked about the two steps we each need to take to be able to experience or receive the living water that is Jesus. And if you've missed either of those two, or if you just want a refresher, they're on our YouTube channel, and they set up a lot of context for where we're going to go as we finish out this interaction. Because today, our focus, that what we're going to see in our passage, is that the woman responds to encountering Jesus. She responds to the transformation he brings by sharing Christ with others. And my hope with our time this weekend is that through this passage, we see that not only is this her response, but she acts as a wonderful model for us today, that as Christ followers, each one of us has been called to the same mission of sharing Christ, and we're going to see through her model practical ways. What does that look like? What does that mean to go and share Christ in our own town, so to speak? And so if you've got your note sheet, you've got a section titled, A Witness to the Messiah. If you got your Bibles, open them up. You got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be going to John's Gospel chapter 4, and we're going to be starting at verse 27. And if you know me, you know what I'm going to say. Get those pens ready, get the highlight function ready, because it's going to get wonderfully messy in our Bibles this weekend. So starting at verse 27. Just then his, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Now, I'm not going to dive into this. This is the context Michael has set up over the previous two messages. But if you remember, the fact that he was Jewish and she was Samaritan was a big deal for racial, political, and religious tensions. And as Michael has pointed out, went back 750 years, as well as the fact that she was a woman. And that wasn't common for a Jewish rabbi to be seen interacting with a woman. Now, what I want to highlight is the fact that the disciples see this, they find it odd, but they don't question Jesus. And I love this because up to this point, they've already experienced Jesus acting outside of what they would consider normal. Now, Christ follower, you've had that same experience too, right? You've had that experience where Jesus does something in a way where you would go, well, that's not typical. And spoiler, you will continue to as you follow in Jesus. So this is a good way to remember that. So verse 28, then leaving her water jar, would you underline that? Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I did. Would you underline or highlight that? Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this 
be the Messiah. And again, last week, Michael talked about how Jesus very directly revealed himself to be the Messiah to her. Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. And so I want to stop and park here for a little bit because there is a lot of beauty in how she responds. But not only that, there is a beautiful model for us today in how she responds. As a result of encountering Jesus, in other words, as a result of encountering the Messiah, she responds by going to testify. She acts as a witness to what she has encountered. Now again, I wanna pause and I wanna ask you to emotionally connect with this woman. We've established previously that she was seen as an outcast by her town, that she had a sketchy past, had not been making the best decisions. And so Michael even talked about a couple of weeks ago that she was drawing water in the middle of the day, which was an odd time to do so. And while we don't know for sure, it could be because she was trying to avoid interaction with anybody else there. She just wanted to do it and be left alone. And yet, because of Jesus, this, quote, outcast goes back to her town. She goes back and begins testifying to an audience that is not safe, an audience that does not have a high view of her and may not necessarily receive her warmly. Not only that, but she's going to testify and she has not taken a class in apologetics. She does not have an advanced degree in ethics. All she knows is that Jesus is the real deal. And I imagine that there was some intimidation, there was some fear because she's only human and yet that didn't stop her. It's almost as if she couldn't help herself. She had to go and proclaim, is this man the Messiah? And on paper, with logic, or what I would say, worldly logic, wouldn't we say that she is the wrong person to be a witness? On, per, on paper, she has everything going against her. And we might say, no, there are better people suited, better people equipped to do this. And yet she was exactly who God chose to use. And what qualified her to be a witness to the Messiah? The same thing that qualifies each and every Christ follower was that she had a genuine encounter with Jesus himself. And there is no way to genuinely encounter Jesus and not be transformed by that. And so what's beautiful about her testimony is that she is just drawing attention to what she has personally experienced. Come and see this man that I interacted with that changed the way I saw everything. And I had you underline that she leaves her jar behind. That had been her focus up until that point. And by leaving that behind and running, you sense this urgency in her, don't you? But again, the beauty in this is that her urgency is rooted in joy. She is overflowing and saying, look, I think I've encountered the Messiah. He is changing things. Beautiful, beautiful witness. And so as we continue in verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. If you were with us last week, that's why they were sent out, was to bring Jesus food. 
Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now, they're thinking very literally because that was what they were asked to do, right? And again, what we see Jesus doing for them, what we see Jesus doing for us is that he leads us always to see a bigger picture because sometimes we get stuck on what's right in front of us. And so with that, in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Would you underline that? My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. And so this bigger picture that Jesus is calling us to see is a bigger picture of what it means to listen and follow. It's a bigger picture of what it means to obey Jesus by referring to it as food, he's letting us know that obedience, a beautiful obedience, is what sustains us. By calling it food, he's drawing our attention to the fact that not only do we need food, not only do we need obedience for survival, but for something much more. We need obedience to sustain us. We need obedience because that's what leads us to grow and to thrive. And that's a bigger picture. And then Jesus is gonna narrow that down for our specific purposes and go that sharing Christ, this act of evangelism that we use in church circles, that we call it in church circles, that is part of this wonderful food that we have the opportunity to take part in by obeying Jesus' calling. And so he continues in verse 35. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until the harvest. So he's using an agricultural example because again, many of his disciples came from agricultural or farming backgrounds. I tell you, open your eyes. Would you underline or highlight that? Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Would you underline or highlight that? They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." And so Jesus uses this agricultural example to teach all of us, not just them, but all of us, a new paradigm of what it means to do the work of sharing Christ. The first thing that he highlights in this example is that the time is now. If you know anything about planting a seed, you know that there's usually a gap, a time that you need to wait. And Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, the time is now. Especially today, Christ followers, we live in the aftermath of the resurrected Jesus. See, often when it comes to this work of sharing Christ, there can be a tendency, even a temptation to see roadblocks. What I mean is there can be a tendency or a temptation to think about all the reasons why the people in our lives that don't know Jesus are not ready yet. Do you think many people that morning would have looked at that woman and said, yeah, she's ready? 
Do you think many people would have looked at other people in the New Testament, like the tax collectors of Levi and Zacchaeus and said, yeah, those guys that are ripping everybody off and traitors to the Jewish people, yeah, they're ready. Do you think anyone the morning that Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus to continue persecuting Christ followers, anybody would have said, yeah, that guy, he's ready. Jesus is calling us to see things with new eyes that because he is now here, people are ready. And the second thing that he highlights is that he calls you, Christ follower, to be a partner in the work of advancing the kingdom. Jesus is engaged in the harvest of people. Ultimately, it is done through his work and his power. He is the one that draws hearts to him. And yet, he calls us to an important role in the work of the harvest that often the Holy Spirit will work through ordinary Christ followers like you and me and use us in various ways at various times to move people in our lives along their journey to encountering Jesus there are times in which the Spirit of God will use you to help prepare the soil or to help plant the seed in someone's life. There are times in which the Spirit of God will work through you to help grow that seed, to help move someone another step towards Jesus or even multiple steps. What I love is this picture he paints is that those that sow, those that reap, they are not in competition one another, but they are in a beautiful partnership. It is a team effort. Even as he tells the disciples, you are doing the work, you are, re you are reaping what others have done. He is saying, we are partners with the prophets of the Old Testament. We are partners with John the Baptist. We are partners with the disciples, the apostles. We are partners with Jesus himself. Christ follower, how many people have led you to see, to take another step towards Jesus? How many people did God use for you to see Jesus in the first place? How many people has God used throughout your life to lead you closer to him? This is the partnership that he calls us into. And so as we continue in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did and so again, what is she sharing? Her personal story. He told me everything I did and it led many of them to see for themselves what is going on. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay and he, said, and he stayed two days and because of his words, many more became believers. This is a big deal. Again, we've talked about the tensions and the hostilities on multiple levels. This is a big deal for a town of Samaritans to be asking a Jewish rabbi to stay. And this is the beauty of what Jesus does. Today, he takes natural enemies and he turns them into a supernatural community. And then verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said now 
we have heard for ourselves. Would you underline or highlight that? Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They, we, anyone needs more than just information about Jesus. They need a personal encounter. And we can't force that, but our witness can provide an opportunity. And so we see that her witness was simply come and see for yourself. Your witness, Christ follower, ultimately is the same. Come and see Jesus for yourself. We point, Jesus transforms. And I love that they said, Savior of the world. Because not only do we see this cross-cultural evangelism, so to speak, we often think of the word savior in our context, in a Christian context, but at the time, especially in a Greek or Roman world, the word savior was actually fairly common. The Greek and Roman gods were referred to as savior. Caesar was referred to as a savior. You may not have used the words, but before you gave your life to Jesus, you had a savior in your life, something you thought would save you, something you thought would bring your life meaning and definition and purpose. And yet when you gave your life to Jesus, you experienced what they did. There is only one savior. And Jesus is it, amen? So that is our passage. And so Rocky Peak, what I wanna do with the time that we have left is I want to unpack three truths about sharing Christ that we see, particularly through the example of the woman at the well. And so there in your note sheet, if you've got a section titled that, Sharing Christ, and your first fill-in is this. Sharing Christ is your mission. Sharing Christ is your mission. Now, I'm willing to bank on two things that just happened as I said that statement. A percentage of you went, yeah, let's go. And a majority of you, your stomachs just churned. And you sit there and went, whoa, whoa, you don't mean me, right? And again, we need to go back to what we saw in our passage that when it comes to sharing Christ, Jesus is calling us to a brand new paradigm. One of the biggest mistakes sometimes in the modern church is that there are certain callings we all have as Christ followers that somehow we have placed limitations on and we refer to them as only being the job of a select few. And when it comes to sharing Christ, I think this is usually at the top of the list that for many of us, when it comes to sharing Christ, we think that is the job of a select few. That is the job of, quote, the elite of Christ followers, but the truth of of Jesus is that that is the charge of all Christ followers. It is not a burden, but it is a beautiful opportunity, not just to reach people, but to do the will of the Father which sustains us. There in your note sheet, I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer 
being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So let's pause right there. So Paul is asking for prayers over his ministry of sharing Christ. But look at how he continues. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so what does he present there? That he has a mission to share Christ and that we have a mission to share Christ. And our ways of doing it may be different, but we are all called to the same mission, to share that the Messiah is Jesus himself. All right, so let's get the intimidation out of the way. There's many reasons why we can feel intimidated, but usually the top of that list is because we think there are people that are better at this than we are. And it's not usually pride, it's usually a someone else is better at this so they should do it so I don't mess it up. And we begin coming up with this list in our heads, don't we, of all the reasons why we should be disqualified from sharing Christ with people. And usually there's a big three. The first one is knowledge. I don't know enough. I don't know how to answer their questions. I don't know what all 66 books of the Bible are called. I don't know. I don't have the advanced degree. I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to do this. Or the second one is we look at our lives and go, I don't have it together. My life is kind of a disaster. I don't think I'm a good example. I'm kind of just hanging on. Or the third one is we look at our communication skills and go, I am not smooth. I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. I don't understand Pastor Michael half the time when he talks. I don't know what to do. And hear me, there are some Christ followers who have uniquely been given spiritual gifts to do this in a particular way. But even though some are uniquely gifted, all are called. And the beauty that we see through the example of the woman at the well was she was essential towards that town coming towards Jesus because of who she was. If we had sent one of the 12, it's likely that the response wouldn't have been what it was because it was her. And so now let me apply this to us today, Rocky Peak, who you are. And yes, Christ follower, I am talking to you. Who you are is essential towards the advancement of the kingdom of God. Who you are is essential towards the advancement of more people hearing that Jesus is the Messiah. Your God-given personality, who you are, sometimes we abuse it, but at the core of it, who you are is God's fault. Who you are, your personality, your 
experiences, your successes, your failures, your backgrounds, your gifts, your interests, your passions, your talents, your likes, your dislikes, what you do during the day, your family, your work, your friends, your neighborhood, who you are is essential because you, as an ordinary, imperfect person that has been redeemed by a perfect Jesus are, li is, are living proof. Hear me, you are living proof that Jesus is for all people. Not one type small box, but you are living proof that Jesus is for all people. And so if we are going to reach all people of all backgrounds, of all genders, of all races, of all experiences, of all walks of life, then we are gonna take the community of God that meets that beautiful diversity and send them out to show them that Jesus is for all. The way in which we share Christ is going to be different depending on who you are. Depending on your gifts, depending on your interests, there's not one right way to do it. But ultimately, you are uniquely situated to be present, something I've said over the years, to be a, an example of a living, breathing Christ follower in the life of someone in your life. Not me. Not Michael. Not your life group leader you have a relationship in your life, a friendship, a family member, that you are there on purpose to be a witness of the beauty of Jesus in their life. And you may not be polished in how you do it, but you have been placed there by the king himself. Let me give you an example of this. One of the ways in which we share Christ, and again, there are many, but one of the ways is inviting someone to join us at church. And truly, there are some people that have a gift at this, meaning that when they invite somebody to church, they don't make it weird. They're just very calm and they're very smooth in how you do it. In particular, two people come to mind. One, my wife, Megan, comes to mind. Another one is my friend, Kelly McCoy, who's one of our pastors here at Rocky Peak. In all the years we've all been in each other's lives, I have watched them repeatedly invite people to church, and I'm always blown away by just how smooth, how confident, how unawkward it feels. Fam, that is not me. And you might be sitting there going, well, what are you talking about? You're on a stage talking to people. Yeah, this is a very different setting. This is a very different environment. I can prepare for this. I can write out what I'm gonna say for this. By nature, I'm just an awkward person one-on-one. -on -one. I wish I had that gift, but I don't. And I think back how recently I invited a friend of mine to church, and if Megan or Kelly had been the one to do it, I'm sure it would have been very smooth. I'm sure they would have said, hey, we, my family would love it if your family would come and join us this week in Rocky Peak. I know it would be a great time had by all. That is not what I did. <laughs> I invited them, and I started by giving them all the reasons why they should say no. 
hey, I'd like to ask you something, and it's okay if you say no, I don't want you to feel weird, my feelings aren't going to be hurt, and I just continued as I went through, hey, I'd love for you to come join us this week in a church with your family, but it's okay, and I had one of those out-of-body experiences where you're watching yourself going, shut up. This is embarrassing. What are you doing? <laughs> Megan and Kelly could have done that better, but they weren't there. It wasn't their opportunity. It was mine. And as unpolished and as unslick as it may have been, it was my opportunity to share Christ. And they came. There's a pastor I listened to out of New York City named John Tyson. And recently, and I'm paraphrasing this, he said this to his church. Do you realize how many people in our world have come to experience Jesus through an incredibly unpolished person? who shared of a genuine encounter that they had in their life. Sharing Christ is your, our mission. The second fill-in is this. Sharing Christ is being a witness. To share Christ... What we mean by that, that is rooted in your personal story, your personal encounter. You are a witness of what the living, resurrected King Jesus has done in your life. There in your note sheet from 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, there's a couple things I love about that verse. The first is, do you see how it ties into our first point? Because Peter was one of the original disciples. He was one of the recipients of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. And as one of those recipients, here he is reminding us that that call was not just for them, but it's for all of us. So he's saying, go and share Christ. Now, secondly, often we use this verse appropriately to talk about apologetics, learning how to think through our faith, learning how to answer questions or objections through our faith. Sometimes we use that verse to think about methodology. Yes, there are wonderful tools to make sharing Christ less awkward when we encounter people. But again, let's not lose the focus. The foundation of that is be prepared to give an answer for the reason you have hope. When the people in your life go, hey, you go to church, why? Hey, you believe in Jesus, why? Hey, you're a God-fearing person, why is that? They're not asking you what I think. They're not asking you what Michael thinks or necessarily what the scholar you read think or what Tim Keller thinks or anybody else. They're asking you because you're the living, breathing Christ follower in their life. Why do you believe this? And it starts with our personal story. The apologetics is good and beautiful. The methodology is good and beautiful, and we even teach an essential here at Rocky Peak about sharing Christ. But that is no substitute 
for your story of encounter. And what we are reminded by the model, by this woman at the well, is that our witness is all about joy, isn't it? It is all about joy. Why do you believe in God? We may word it differently, but I'll put it this way. Because you, Christ follower, realized and experienced how great Jesus is in the highest sense of that word. Christ follower, when you gave your life to Jesus, I don't think it's bold to say that you didn't do it in a reluctant, in a reluctant concession. I think for the majority of us, we wouldn't say that when we gave our life to Jesus, it wasn't a, oh, okay, God, I guess I'll give you this one. Now, maybe there was a power struggle that went on for a long time, but when we gave our life to Jesus, it wasn't this, okay, I'll give you Monday, I take power back on Tuesday, we're still equals in this. No, when we gave our lives to Jesus, it was because our eyes were finally open that Jesus and Jesus alone is Savior, that Jesus and Jesus alone forgives, that Jesus and Jesus alone resurrects, that Jesus and Jesus alone leads us, that Jesus and Jesus alone sustains us, that Jesus and Jesus alone is our hope. Our eyes were open that Jesus and Jesus alone is great. And so our journey is rooted in joy. When we gave our lives to Jesus, when you think back even past that, any major turning point in your life in which your relationship with Jesus grew deeper it was because you realized more and more that when it comes to Jesus, you are in the presence of greatness. Think. Think back to when you gave your life to Jesus. Think back to any major turning points in your life in which your walk and your journey became deeper and deeper. What could you now see when it came to Jesus? What did you feel towards Jesus? Greatness. And it's that experience that compels us and that is the overflow of how we share Christ. We are in the presence of greatness. And I want you to experience that as well. You know, several years ago as a church, all life groups and the weekend service, we went through a book together called The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission by an Australian author and scholar named John Dixon. And I came across this quote, and it's not in your note sheet or on the slides because I came across it after everything was done, but I still want to share this. He writes that our friends and neighbors live and breathe in the presence of the greatest Lord, yet they do not know it. We, the people of the Lord, who know his majesty over heaven and earth, must stand up on the bus, so to speak, and in whatever way is appropriate to our gifts, personalities, and circumstances, promote his glory. There in your note sheet, we see this in Psalm 96. Sing, sing to the Lord a new song. 
Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory, his greatness among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. We are witnesses to the greatness of Jesus. Amen? And the final thing, your final feeling is this, is that sharing Christ is for others to encounter Jesus. You know, I shared a few weeks ago about my hero, John the Baptist. And I shared that one of the things that draws me to John is the fact that he knew who he was and he knew who he was not. He knew that he was not the Christ, that he was not the Messiah. And that is a beautiful, spiritual, deep breath when it comes sometimes to the pressures or the burdens we place on ourselves, when it comes to sharing Christ, that our opportunity is simply to point. Our opportunity is to point to the greatness of Jesus, but it is Jesus himself that will draw hearts to him, and it is Jesus himself that would ultimately transform the lives of those in our lives. Our witness is a taste, but it is not a substitute for the greatness that is encountered in a direct, in a direct encounter with Jesus. There, I put again what we read. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. We point, Jesus transforms. But not only that, it's important to remember this because it keeps us grounded in terms of the bigger picture of sharing Christ. See, remember that we share Christ for people in our lives to experience greatness. We don't share Christ simply to win an argument. We don't share Christ simply to modify somebody's behavior. Those might be wonderful overflows, but ultimately, I love how this grounds us. We share Christ to provide an opportunity for someone to encounter directly, one-on-one, how great he is. And so with that, what I want to do is I just want to wrap things up by talking about what is the foundation. We've talked about our witness, we've talked about our vision, but ultimately, practically, there is one key practical step that for all of us to be able to succeed and thrive in this mission, we need to take. And so there on the back of your note sheet, one final section of the foundation, and your fill-in is this prayer. The foundation for our call, our mission is prayer. Yes, apologetics is good. And if you, hear, if you interpret what I'm saying otherwise, you've misinterpreted me. Apologetics is good. Methodology is good. But the most powerful act we can engage to prepare us, to envision us, to equip us, to share Christ well is prayer. And when we pray, we need to pray for multiple things. We need to pray first for our heart, for a new or a renewed sense of calling that this is our mission. The second thing is we need to pray for God to open our eyes to the opportunity that is already around us. 
to open our eyes to how he has wired us to help us find what is the best way for us, our unique personalities, gift set as individuals to share Christ. And third, we need to pray for specific people by name. We need to pray that Jesus would draw their hearts to him. There in your note sheet, I put a phrase that we've used throughout our history at Rocky Peak, but we hadn't, and I want to come back to it, it's called a one life. And you, some of you that have long time been in Rocky Peak, you might remember this, but we love using this term because I think it's a great way to focus and also take some of the pressure out of, well, who am I supposed to share Christ with? See, the concept behind a one life, it's simple. It's someone that is already in your life who does not yet, keyword, yet, know Jesus. That could be a family member or a friend. That could be a coworker or a neighbor. That could be a teacher. That could be a doctor. That could be a barista. Someone in your life that you have regular, semi-regular encounter with that you care about that does not yet know Jesus. And the reason I want to highlight that is because for many of us, that's our town. She went to her town, metaphorically speaking, that person is our town where God is sending us to. And so there next to that phrase, you're going to see a line. I would love to invite you to write someone's name there. You're not turning this in, this is for you, but you're committing to pray for them. But you're also committing, okay, God, show me practical steps I could take. Again, that could be language in terms of inviting someone, that could be having a conversation about Jesus, or that could be sharing Christ without using words necessarily. That could be maybe the next step is opening up your home to this person and their family through an act of hospitality. Maybe the next step to take is serving them in some way, in some practical way, helping them get their garbage containers up, helping them fix that problem in their backyard that's been there for a long time. Maybe the next step is simply hanging out in relationship because you share common interests. Whatever that may be, write a name down that you can commit to praying towards because we have an opportunity to share the greatness of Jesus the King with the people in our lives. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the work of transformation you've done in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that even as we stand somewhat intimidated, anxious, and nervous, you have given us your spirit and you call us to be your partners. It's not done on our strength, but it's done on yours. Again, because of the spirit you have put in us. And so we, as the church, the church is not me. The church is not Michael. We are the church. And we have been called to share the greatness of King Jesus. And so I pray that as we think of those people that are already in our lives, whether it's one, one life, whether we have multiple one lives, we thank you for the opportunity. We pray for a renewed call, a freshness in our hearts. And we commit to not just pray, but to take a practical step, whatever that may be, to share the truth of you with them. We ultimately thank you that we don't go alone, that you are with us, 
you strengthen us and you encourage us. And it is in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, amen.